1: If you have $10,000, you have $10,000. Don't worry about the person next door to you has $100,000. Utilize what you have at your disposal and make good on it. Make good on returning that over a 18 month to two year period of time, and then use the cash flow that you have from that asset's performance to start thinking about your second asset.
0: When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that at any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, Be a
1: light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic.
0: If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. My guest today is the CEO of the world's largest marketplace to buy and sell online businesses, flippa.com. For over 20 years, he's worked in growth, business development, and leadership roles for some of the fastest growing tech companies on the planet, and he's even been a founder himself. Today, his platform and the team that he leads enables exits and business opportunities for business owners to really find opportunities to take an existing business and make it their own which is such, such an amazing concept. Needless to say, by virtue of this, it's given him this unique perspective into what makes businesses work. And so that's exactly what we're going to cover today. We're going to talk about what really we should be looking at when evaluating businesses, what types of businesses thrive in today's digital economy, and also think about how do we know if we're making a bad decision when we're thinking of either selling or buying a business and how we should look at market trends and the future. I am so pumped for this one. So without further ado, let's jump straight in. Blake Hutchinson, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Billy. That was a very generous introduction. I appreciate that. and uh, Keen to chat with you today and hopefully can help out some of your listeners in understanding some of these concepts.
0: Yeah, so let's start here. So you've described it in this way, but I know it's not a perfect analogy, but you're kind of like the eBay for buying and selling online Digital based businesses, but I've listened to you enough to know that I should step aside and let you explain exactly what you do. So tell us about Flippa.
1: Yeah, so it's like eBay in the sense that it's a marketplace. So there are two sides there's the seller side, which is business owners operating around the world. They're digital by nature. They could be a Shopify store owner, they could be an Amazon FBA operator, they could also be a blogger. Perhaps they own an app. Maybe they're even a podcaster like yourself, right? So they've got a digital business of some sort. It's typically cash flow positive. It's typically revenue generating as a result, and they are looking to exit. And an exit can be small, an exit can be big. Flipper is price agnostic. So we are the world's largest marketplace, giving people opportunity to connect with the buy side. The buy side could be entrepreneurs, perhaps people like you and I who want to side hustle on the side. We want to generate some incremental income, but they could also be institutional buyers, private equity, venture capital, family offices, private companies who are looking to bolt on businesses for the benefit of some kind of growth strategy or perhaps there's a particular niche that they're interested in getting a little closer to. So, It's eBay in the sense that it's a marketplace for buying and selling online businesses. But the critical thing, of course, is that there's a lot that goes in to buying a business or selling a business. So we also have a global advisory team. And so we're advisory plus tech to ensure Mm. that it's a very efficient process to get a deal done. Getting a deal done means selling your online business to somebody who wants it and is going to be as passionate about it as you are.
0: Mm. I love that you have this advisory team that helps and nurtures the deals to the finish line. Because we all know when you're thinking of buying or selling a business, there's a lot of variables at play. And I want to get into some of those and talk about the due diligence. And I'm really excited to talk about some of the verification features that you're implementing. Very, very, very excited about that. Before we get into all of that, let's get a little personal here. I know that you've sort of vulnerably shared your own entrepreneurial journey and you've learned from success. You've learned from failure. A while back, you were were sort of ahead of your time with your previous business that you founded. And you looked at Flippa as an opportunity. Talk a little bit about that experience and, and even maybe why you weren't sort of the ideal client or ideal customer at that point in your own entrepreneurial journey.
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. I had done various things working in business development and growth marketing roles. And, you know, like lots of entrepreneurs. I thought I had what it takes as well as a good idea from which I could build a good quality business. Now, there's a lot that goes into success, isn't there? There's obviously a good concept, there's outstanding execution, then there's a little bit of luck and of course, good timing. I would say that I am a strong execution-orientated executive, but certainly Timing didn't go my way. So, my business was a marketplace to buy and sell specialty food. If you're in the US, you may f- be familiar with a business called Good Eggs. And we were a little bit similar to that in the sense that you could buy from any number of different suppliers on our marketplace. But where we were, where we came uns- undone was, of course, one access to capital back in 2010. There was very little capital in the Australian marketplace. And the second thing is because I can't just blame capital. It was a function of logistics. So you're moving perishable goods, and that's mm. that's a good undertaking. And this, of course, was pre-Uber existing in the Australian marketplace. You're heavily dependent on Australia Post, which is you know the equivalent of the United States Postal Service. So it's going to be difficult to actually build a marketplace at scale if the last mile delivery function of your operation is is so flawed. And that was the case for us. I guess the good news is that marketplaces are a unique beasts in their own right. And so to get some exposure to marketplace dynamics at that stage back in 2010 and beyond was, was really critical for my career. I'd worked in e-com. I'd also worked in publishing. I'd worked more recently in cloud accounting. So I've got this kind of diverse understanding of different business models and what it takes for businesses to succeed. Interestingly enough, going back and looking at what Flipper looked like back then, when I tried to sell my business, it's quite funny to look at, and I still love the the website Wayback Machine. So if you're not familiar with that, go <laughs> and yes. have a look at what Flipper looked back looked like when I tried to sell my business back in 2015 on the platform. Fast forward to now, you know I've got a breadth of experience across some world class businesses, and of course the business models have been different almost every time. And so that's kind of fun because when I'm speaking to a business owner at Flipper and trying to help them think through whether we're the right platform for them or even help them get a deal done, it's important to understand the metrics that matter across different business models because ultimately buyers don't really get swept up in the emotion so much like a seller does, buyers are very transactional by nature. So they're going to look at the metrics that matter the most to them. And having a good understanding of that is going to be critical.
0: Let's talk about that because I think this is a really fascinating point. And man, I've just been binging content from you, you on other podcasts and just listening. And I'm, it's like a MBA, just hearing your knowledge, but also your observations, not least of which is, What are the variables we look at? And I love that you said marketplace dynamics too, because yes, it's changed. Flip has changed. Your business operates completely different if it starts today versus 10 years ago. But what should business owners or buyers or sellers be looking at in today's world with everything being the way it is now?
1: Yeah, it's a really great point. And we're seeing this a little bit, right, with some e-commerce businesses that were really, really strong during the COVID Night, the heart of the pandemic. Everyone's at home and people are moving into people's consumption of e-commerce versus brick and mortar retail obviously went through the roof. We all know that. And so some e-commerce businesses had some time in the sun. Now in nearing the end of 2022, you look at some of the, the financials attached to some of those businesses and they're not as pretty today. And so mm-hmm. the cost of acquiring a customer has gone up perhaps their average order value has gone down and therefore their unit economics has been impacted. And so what you're ultimately looking for is healthy metrics that matter. And of course, for different business models, it's different metrics. So for e-com as an example, we will tend to look at trailing 12-month performance and compare that to the prior 12. That gives us a very, very high level indication of whether the business is growing flat or declining, pretty obvious stuff. But then we get a little bit more detailed And we'll look at refund rates, which is an indication of quality of product and satisfaction of the end customer. We'll look at average order value. And average order value is really important in e-com. For example, last week, we saw an interior design business where you're buying sofas and coffee tables. And their average order value was nearly $2,500. So that's a very, very strong average order value. The good thing about that is you can tend to have positive unit economics as a function of that. Because each customer that you're acquiring for X dollars through Facebook or through Google will tend to have a payback, which is far greater than if you're selling $25 T-shirts, right? So we'll look at average order value. We'll look at refund rate. The other thing we'll look at is the cost base as it relates to talent, so staff. Mm. And we'll think about that in the context of whether that cost base is above and beyond what we see for equivalent e-commerce businesses. And benchmarking is really important. And we'll then look at that cost base and we'll think about the business and how it operates. And we'll think about whether a buyer could take over that business for a lower cost base. And so we'll provide that recommendation as part of our valuation assessment where we're talking about, okay, the way to position this business is not only on its financial and operational performance, but also on the opportunity to strip out costs, which we don't believe should necessarily be there based on the benchmarking data we have at our disposal. So one of the great things we're really blessed with here at Flipper is an extraordinary amount of sales data. So you can actually look at what a good business looks like and how it's sold and the speed at which it sold and the demand from the buy side base. Now, of course, SaaS is very different again, right? So SaaS is going to come down to your, your lifetime value, your churn rate, Of course, your growth rate and your ability to hold on to those customers, which again is that lifetime value metric that I just alluded to. But the interesting thing about SaaS is, you know, a lot of people will call themselves SaaS businesses, but the utility that they're selling doesn't necessarily have a long-term necessity or utility or need. And so it's going to have a terrible lifetime value, i.e. the customer just doesn't stay on long enough for it even to be considered a SaaS business. And those types of things will come into into question when you're talking about valuations because people want to look at... The weirdest thing I see is when someone comes out with data that says SaaS multiples are X and e-commerce multiples are Y. Now, of course, I get that they're averages. Mm -hmm. The problem is each business is actually a little bit unique. And so you can't actually treat it in the same way you look at public data and public multiples because small businesses are just wired a little bit differently. Generally speaking, buyers—you may have heard me say this on other podcasts—but buyers will will look for opportunity, absolutely and of course. But they don't pay for opportunity; they pay for historical performance. So a lot of small business owners will say, "But what if I did this? And what if I did that?" That means they could do that. What about this opportunity? What about that opportunity? They'll get the opportunity to do that. And the problem is, it's not the, the way buyers see the world. For them, it's it's an investment. And so if I'm investing. into an asset and it's making $50,000. The reality is, I have two years' payback at its current performance level. And my job in that first two years is to stabilize the patient, just to keep it running in just the same way. It's not until that 18 or 24 month period has lapsed that I might think about optimizations. Because when I buy something, it's a bit like buying a house that you're going to put tenants straight into. You're buying it for the benefit of its rental return. And you want that rental return almost immediately. Very few of us have the appetite to actually go in and renovate, fix it up, repaint. That's a niche audience. We're talking about people who are looking to get a return on their investment in pretty quick order. Now, sometimes that can be up to five years. We do see five times multiples for some businesses, sometimes in excess of that. But generally speaking, a business buyer will look at it on its prior performance versus its opportunity.
0: Well, there's a reason in a relay race, you start running before you get the baton passed to you, right? So you could keep pace and continue running. Same thing holds true for a business. When we think about value assessment and look at specifically some of the verification components that you've put into place, I know about six months ago, you said your hope was by now, I guess I'm holding you accountable here, is that you'd have maybe 150 data endpoints you might yeah. not be there yet, but looking at Google Analytics, for example, or looking at just having accounting platforms where you can have either read-only access or, or somehow your platform has access to verify, hey, are these numbers yeah. actually what they're doing? Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, of course. So we have 15 integrations. So you mentioned Google Analytics. We have Shopify, Stripe, Magento, WooCommerce, BigCommerce, Amazon, eBay, QuickBooks Online, which is obviously cloud accounting software, really, really critical piece. Zero, which is equally cloud accounting software. And so what we're trying to do is two things. Help business owners understand the data that matters the most when you go in to sell your business and get a valuation for it also. And so to speed up that process and to give them more accuracy, it's really pertinent that there is some data connected and, and we can make that assessment. The second thing we're doing is providing buyers with an ability to understand that asset's performance without having to ask 10 to 20 different questions about it before they've actually ascertained their true interest. Now, that's not to suggest that we're not recommending people do due diligence. Of course, that's not the case. We still recommend you do due diligence. But much like I can see the square footage of a house, much like I can see how many bedrooms it has much like an understand the historical rental return of the property. We expect that there is a large amount of data available on any given asset to ensure that we can verify the data, the performance, and give buyers an informed read of that. Now, where that takes us long-term is actually really, really interesting because we can now benchmark based on all of the data we see. And so if we figure that the average order value of an e-commerce business operating in the fashion industry is X, we can now compare that average order value to everything else we've seen and provide category on category insight, as well as business to business insight. And what we found is that our insights module, which does compare that information, churn, lifetime value, ARR, growth rates, refund rates, et cetera, traffic, even things like revenue per page view the metrics that we deem to be important, you can now compare that using our insights module and you can imagine us investing more and more effort around that. That's all come in the last 12 months. So Mm -hmm. we're still in the infancy of our data exploration, but you can imagine that being a core and critical part of our business moving forward. In fact, there's barely a day that doesn't go past where we're not talking about how we can leverage the, the repository of data we sit on in fact, I'll give you a crazy data point, if you like, on the buy side, if people want to know how much demand sure. there is. Because I've just come off a of company all hands. And would you believe that in the 2022 calendar year, which we're obviously near closing, there were 167,000 searches on Flipper for Shopify businesses. Quite a staggering number. Amazon, which is clearly a combination of KDP, you know, that's Kindle Publishing, FBA, that's fulfilled by Amazon FBM, as well as Amazon Associates, which is their affiliate program, was nearly at that same level at just in excess of 140,000 unique searches for those assets. So the business models took up the top five. So Shopify, obviously, e Amazon ecom, AdSense, which is essentially content-based businesses, SaaS came in at number four, and then blog at number five, huge amounts of search volume. For those top five, each one of those had in excess of 140,000 unique searches for the year. After that, it's a really, really long tail and it moves into Mm. category category domain where people are looking for travel assets, fitness-based assets, health-based assets, and so it's really that data side of our business is something we want to dig into a lot
0: more. You heard it here first, folks. You know what's interesting to me, and I don't know if you know my backstory, but I worked at Tesla as a global leader there. I built the onboarding program. But time and time again, I started thinking about Tesla is valuable, yes, because it's a car company and it's a technology company, but it's also a data company. And, yep. and there's so much value in just the fact that they're first to market in most sense, right? And that they have all this incredible data that they're accumulating much in the same way you're accumulating data. and I think it's really smart that you have made this a focal point and continue to make this a focal point. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you could have a whole nother business right there with the insights. and I don't know if that's part of the, the future plan or not. you could speak to that. One other kind of interesting thing that I've, I've been looking at is just how somebody could aggregate a bunch of sites that could in some way stack a larger and larger volume of either content or whatever it may be, or e-commerce, any one of those verticals you're talking about, and all of a sudden your valuation could go really high, really fast. And I know you have some power buyers on your platform. So I'm curious if you've seen any common themes from those folks.
1: Yeah, certainly we have. So I agree with you. I think that bolt-on, bolt-on opportunities are going to be very prevalent in 2023, right? Because what will happen is where people may have taken a smaller number, but bigger strategic bets, given the ways of the market, we think you're more likely to see some of the bigger institutional buyers like family offices and private equity move a little further downstream. We think that they're more likely to pursue more predictable and less speculative asset types. And so we think that we'll see a bunch of buyers become multi acquisition partners for Flipper. The short answer is that is already happening, right? So you get publishers who we all just see as publishers, and we look at their websites and we can see that they own six, seven, 12, 20 different online businesses in certain niches. In many cases, they've acquired those businesses, and we're seeing a lot of that. So publishers acquiring businesses so that they can get better leverage out of their, their advertising sales teams. We're seeing app aggregators, so people who are recognizing that, you know, clearly the iOS and Android ecosystem is extraordinarily lucrative. And so when you hear that, and I hope I don't get these numbers wrong, but when you hear that Apple is making, or at least the ecosystem is making $100 billion a quarter, then you've got to think, okay, well, there's got to be more apps on there, Do- Outside of Netflix and TikTok and the big name brands, right? There is this long tail ecosystem which is there, predominantly operated by two, three, and five person companies all over the world. Singapore is a good app developer ecosystem. Certainly, Eastern Europe is the same way. And we're seeing a bunch of American app aggregators come onto our marketplace and start to buy up apps. And to your point, Billy, individuals can do it too. So, you know, one of my favorite stories is, is a gentleman who, through COVID, had intended to, or just prior to COVID, had intended to retire. Of course, like many a story, COVID derailed his travel plans. And so for the first time in his career, he went and bought a content website. Well, he then bought nine in six months. Mm. They was small Billy, like most people would say, "Wow, can you even afford, how do you afford to do that?" I can tell you that his average transaction size was like12,000 dollars. Now I'm not suggesting that every average Joe out there can afford to go and spend 120 to 150,000 dollars on content aggregation, but he did, and he's up 200 percent on his invested dollar. And so you know that's not bad going. You spend 120 to 150,000 dollars on investment, and you turn around and you're. And you're you know, the average return of those investments is two times out of $300,000. That's great going, right? But it used to be that an asset class that you entered for the first time was expensive. And now you can buy smaller sites and aggregate them and do really well.
0: It's so interesting to me because it's rare where I do an interview where I get this excited about the platform of the person who I'm interviewing. I'm, I'm always excited about something. Otherwise, I wouldn't invite you on the show. But it's rare where I'm this excited Let's assume somebody listening right now wants to take advantage. What's the best way they should approach the platform? I know, for example, you said do some browsing to start and even spend as much as 30 days browsing, which I thought was interesting. But also I applaud you that, and maybe it's changed, maybe it's two weeks now, maybe it's a week, but I applaud you that you recommend that because I think it's important to understand the ecosystem. But aside from that, or in addition to that, and also, you could elaborate on that. What else should somebody be doing when they visit the platform?
1: Yeah, so you know, one of the really interesting things is that most buyers will heed our advice and do take time to consider a purchase. And I'm just going to give you a bit of data here. I'm going to look at assets sold between. Well, why don't we just pick a number here? Let's say assets sold. Given we might be talking to first-time acquirers, let's say between ten and fifty thousand dollars. So that's the actual asset. Price that I'm going to be paying the business owner to get a hold of my new online business, so ten to fifty thousand dollars. The average days to buy is fifty-three. Okay, now that's mm. that's to the point in which time I find the asset I want. So you're registering as a buyer and you're taking fifty-three days to find the asset. So this is not a quick turnaround time. And in some cases, I'm just looking at a couple of other price points here, $350,000 to $400,000. When someone goes and buys an asset of that value, it takes them 114 days on average. Okay, So what that means is don't suddenly register with Flipper and buy an asset tomorrow. That's not what I'm encouraging you to do. What I'm encouraging you to do is is think about what you're good at. And so do you have expertise in logistics? Great. Maybe a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business is wonderful for you. Do you have the ability to create wonderful content because you've been a writer and you've worked for a publisher before? Fantastic. Maybe a content business is good for you. Not that it means you have to write all the content, but you understand it. Philosophically, you get it as a business. Are you passionate about travel? Great. Have a look for a travel-orientated business. Are you real? Do you go to the gym every day and you're just obsessive about it? Wonderful. Go and look for a fitness-orientated business. So what I encourage people to do is find a business model that they can imagine themselves having a skill set that they orientate well to. And then secondly, find a category that they know they're going to be passionate about for long enough that they've got the resilience to get through that stabilisation period, protect the asset's value, earn what it was earning, and then optimise post that. And so what you would do to really, really labour the point is you would simply go to Flipper you would either use keyword search, you would type in something like fitness. You would then use the price, the price filters, right? And so much like price filters on Airbnb, go and use those price filters and think about how much money you have to deploy. It's all good and well to say, oh, I can get a 401k rollover. Maybe I can get an SBA loan. That's fantastic. And I agree that those things are more accessible than ever before. But what I'd actually encourage people to do if they are genuinely first timers is actually use the capital they have at their disposal. If you have $10,000, you have $10,000. Don't worry about the person next door to you has $100,000. Utilize what you have at your disposal and make good on it. Make good on returning that over a 18-month to two-year period of time and then use the cash flow that you have from that asset's performance to start thinking about your second asset. Do the same again. Now, that sounds like a long process. To amassing a portfolio, but I'm talking about a first timer who wants to get into it for the first time. You should be disciplined and be conscious of the time it's going to take. Because I hate people who talk about passive. Passive is actually very uncommon. I wouldn't say it doesn't exist. We have seen some, for example, we saw a GDPR compliance blog sell for $5.2 million, making 90% margin. 13 pages of content, rarely updated, and just a money-making powerhouse. But they're actually rare, so I think we should call them that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's really important that you highlight to avoid becoming over-leveraged, not least of which because if you put your own, I mean, not that your 401k isn't your own money, but you know, you put the money that you have that's accessible, that you could deploy immediately, you, you have skin in the game and you feel it more, and you're going to be more, I'd say, inclined to want to make sure this does what it, you hope that it would do. And then longer term, you can add to that, to that portfolio. And it might take a little bit of time, but it's better to go slow. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. If you treat it as a sprint, chances are you're going to make some bad decisions. And I think that's really sage advice. In a minute, I want to talk about trends in the future. Before we get into that, what are some other success stories? You highlighted somebody that bought, I think, nine different properties, but any other success stories or specific examples that help to illustrate how the platform can really create something special?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a few different ones. I mean, there's there's the really obvious stories where you'll have a baby boomer or you know what they now call the silver tsunami, people who are sitting on these businesses and they don't necessarily have someone to transfer those businesses to. And so there's going to be literally trillions of dollars in in businesses available for sale over the next five to 10 years as the silver tsunami moves on to retirement. And we did have an example like that. We had a, a business, the gentleman was looking to retire. He was literally going to close his business, but a friend suggested Flipper and said, well, why don't you, you list it over there? Because you know, why would you close it given the quality of it and its inherent value potentially to somebody else as well? Now, that business ended up selling within a couple of weeks post-listing for $1.6 million. Now, obviously, he now has $1.6 million more for his retirement than he thought he was going to have. And so I absolutely love those stories because it just shows you the inherent value in a good quality online business. But not only that, we're genuinely helping people have a better future. So I love those stories. And that was a business that was called Day Trade Spy and day trade spy you can imagine what that was it was a day trader software business and so basically they taught clients how to trade options on the S&P 500 and it was obviously a content website but it'd been around for 12 years so i will say age is a factor in valuation by the way because it gives you some predictability and buyers investors love predictability right so that's a really good example i also love smaller examples like a crochet blog again similarly the owner Uh, I think she was Philadelphia-based. She was going to retire, listed her blog on Flipper. Uh, Not that long after that, I think it was something like 96 hours later, that blog sold for $90,000. And of course, well, not of course, but she was in tears, good tears, because $90,000 when you didn't think you had that amount of money can make a very substantial difference to someone's life. We've got people like ex-executive warriors, corporate warriors, Martin Bispel's worked for QVC. Which is obviously the one of the largest television net, shopping networks in the world, and he came in. He had a passion for disc golf, so he bought a, a business on the on the Flipper platform, which is called Upper Park Disc Golf, and they sell disc golfing backpacks. and He educated me and told me there were fifty million games of disc golf played in the U.S. every year, and so point being is that niches matter a lot, mm. and particularly in the U.S. because. What most of you don't all realize is you're, you're sitting in this extraordinarily large market where niches are always 10 times bigger than what other markets will have for them. So those stories are really fun. And we have so many of those. and We, we love them. That's why we exist. It's why we have a, a little video series called Humans and Flipper, just to tell those stories.
0: Mm, yeah, the riches are in the niches. And we hear it all the time. And I think it does really... It's a great reminder of you find something narrow enough, but you become put yourself in a category of one you can really do some pretty amazing things let's talk about your vantage point being that you've been able to see firsthand all of these businesses thrive if you were to turn back the clock and just say you were starting a business let's say you were you know you were an entrepreneur starting a business today and knowing what you know now and let's assume that all other factors are the same in terms of you know optimizing business yes that's important but I really want to figure out like what types of businesses would you gravitate to in today's economy, knowing what you know now?
1: Well, that's a really good question. I mean, the first thing I would say is everyone gravitates to SaaS and e-commerce and they're actually quite difficult to run. So let's let's say that again. (laughs) SaaS and e-commerce (laughs) are difficult to run. So if I was looking at this from a predictability standpoint and trying to guarantee my returns, I would be investing in a content based business and specifically i'd be investing in a content based business that was deriving its revenue through affiliate affiliate marketing programs the best of which in my opinion despite the fact that they continue to take more off the off the table is the amazon associates program and so for those who are less familiar with that let's just quickly summarize what we mean so what we mean is that in theory you could have a content based business that was getting, let's say, reviews of baby goods. And so maybe you're inviting all of the mums and dads around the world to come in and review the products that their babies are utilising or consuming or, or, or getting. And so you've got a content source. and The content source of it is, of course, the community. And as a function of that, you are then able to refer other mums and dads around the world out to Amazon to consume and buy those products. Well, each time you do that successfully, Amazon will pay you. So I know I'm making it sound very simple, but I think that that's that's necessary. For me, those businesses, they're not startups. Don't call yourself a startup founder. They are good quality, cash flow generating, predictable businesses that you can run for a very long time, that you can get cash flow from, and ultimately, when you intend to sell it one day there will be a very, very large cohort of buyers looking to acquire. And so one of the things that Flipper often says is that we're here to be the investment bank for the 99%. We're here to democratise the exit. And whilst we love outstanding tech founders, and of course the founders of of Flipper are prolific marketplace founders, we, we completely respect the unicorn ambitions that a lot of people have. Your question was, you know, which business would you have if you had your time again? And my answer to that is a good quality content business where I can predict the amount of content I'm going to derive and I can predict the returns I'll get from my content cost base. And there are so many different niches out there that you can explore to do that. The best way to do that is go on to, go on to Amazon and just look at the categories that are their top rated categories. And that will give you some sense of where they're deriving most of their inbound traffic from and where big affiliates are playing the game. Then jump onto SEMrush and type in that topic and it will give you the top 100 keyword competitors for that particular content approach. And now go and have a look at those sites and see if you think you can do a better job than them. So I'd start a content website. I'd derive affiliate revenue. I'd orientate that to a passion, be that, you know, being a mum, being a dad, be that traveling, be that some kind of fitness effort. Maybe I've, for example, I came across a really great affiliate site in the home gym space. So that's basically anyone who's going to go and buy home gym equipment. And it was a review website. People would come in and they'd review their home gym equipment. Extraordinarily good quality site. Recession proof for sure. As if people aren't going to continue to work out if they already work out today. So that's, that's how I would approach it.
0: Fascinating. And I thank you for also the tips that you gave and like what you action steps you would take, because I think that's really important. It's understanding, okay, now that we know that this could be a good viable option, it may not be as sexy as your unicorn wannabe startup that you you think could be a world changer. But to your point, it's perhaps going to be recession proof. It's going to be a stable business that's predictable and all those other things that go into it, which let's face it, like you got to ask yourself, why are you doing this to begin with? Is it you know, have a life and also have a business that's thriving. So I want to go into the trends in the future before we wrap up here, before we do, would you focus on that specific niche or would you build other verticals also in the content? Like, how would you think about that? Would you go deeper or would you go wide? In other words, if you had home gyms, would you then do maybe another type of content platform that is somewhat related or would you, would you go into something different and keep building outward?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it probably just depends on the platform from which I'm acquiring. So what I mean by that is, you know, we've got an example of a tattooing artist who bought a blog called Tattooing 101. And so that's just a arbitrage game. What you're doing is you're utilizing the content, the eyeballs, and you're aiming to win customers to your core business. And so in that particular case, I'm, I'm staying narrow, right? I'm not going broad. If I'm the Toronto-based acquirer that I alluded to before, nine websites in nine months, up 200% on invested dollar, then I'm going extraordinarily broad because all I really want to know is what the highest returning affiliate verticals are. And so I can tell you that he has Garage Gym Pro. He has a Yorkshire Terrier blog. They're clearly unrelated. Right. (laughs) As one about recycling. And in his case, they're, they're all either affiliate or AdSense generating. So AdSense is, is Google's AdWords program where you can obviously host advertisers on that Google will serve to you and you derive the revenue from that. And so in his case, um, and to the answer to the question, if I'm purely doing it as an investor, looking for investor returns, I'd be going as broad as, wide as I can. I'd be going as broad as I can. Once I understand the business model, once I know how to create the content, or at least derive the content, I'd be going as broad as I can and I'd be rinse and repeat and I'd use my same cost base across all sites.
0: Mm-hmm. And you learn so much, right? You're going to be able to test, pivot, do some experiments, see what works. And then especially if you go broad, you could borrow things that work in one vertical, apply it to another one, uh, another market. So let's talk about like the future and then we'll wrap up. Like, Where do you think things are evolving to as it relates to, I'd say, business generally, but also as we look at more digitally-based businesses, what's two, three steps down the road that we should be thinking about?
1: Yeah. I mean, the first thing is I think that, as I alluded to at the top of our chat, I think bolt-on acquisitions become more common for institutional buyers in the tech and digital assets space. So what I think will happen is you'll see a bunch more transactions that you typically wouldn't have attached to institutional buyers, you know call it Main Street tribe pricing, sort of anything from maybe five hundred thousand dollars in enterprise value up to five million dollars in enterprise value. We're starting to hear from private equity who are doing that and buying those as bolt-ons for their existing portfolio companies. And I think that that becomes a trend. The second thing I think you'll see is that much like the FBA aggregator space turned the world upside down at least for a short period of time, I think you'll see a bunch of people raising good amounts of money to aggregate and buy into a particular area of the platform economy. And so the platform economy, of course, is this big tech net ecosystem that frames the new small business owner, the old small business owner, brick and mortar, the new small business owner operating on top of an existing platform. And I think that what you'll see is that There'll be more app aggregators. There'll be more publishers that are moving into content aggregation, so content website aggregation. I think the same continues to happen for e-commerce. Whilst there were some hiccups and there's some hurdles for those aggregators to jump, the reality is the the private equity approach to buying digital assets, I believe, will be a bigger trend in 2023 than it was in, in 2022. It may not have as much froth to it. I mean, I don't think you're going to get Ferrasio-like venture capital rounds, but I think that the sheer number of people who are using aggregation as a strategy will will increase. The second, probably the second biggest trend for me, relates to some of these categories where people try to orientate a lot of their investment decisions around recession-proof industries. And for your listeners out there, if you haven't already, just because she's a friend of the family, clearly different space, but Cody Sanchez does some good talking about buying boring businesses, laundromats, ice makers, storage sheds, those types of things. So I think that as we become more and more sure of a, I wouldn't say a long-term recession, but certainly maybe a a two to three-year downturn, I can imagine that those businesses that were considered boring and or more recession-proof industries, we start to see more volume around. Pretty obvious trend. I know it's not rocket science, but I think we'll see that. From a Flipper standpoint, we expect to, to your point, continue to invest in data in such a way that we want to make decisions easy to come by for our buyers. And so you can imagine us actually using all the insights that we have at our disposal to build a, a data product that you can then tap into to make better decisions about your existing portfolio, as well as adding add to that portfolio.
0: Brilliant. I cannot wait to see it. I want to thank you for being here. Please go to Flippa.com. That's F L I ppa.com you could also check out Blake's twitter at blake now is his handle and then blake hutchison with there's no i there's no n and there's no g it's h u t c h i s o n blake bring us home man give us a final word
1: yeah thank you billy i appreciate it um, for those of you who are new to acquisition entrepreneurship there's a there's a lot of people doing the same thing so what i would encourage you to do is jump on humans a flipper listen to five or six different videos, get some inspiration of people who are doing it. Stories like Karen Boyer, who was a cop in Florida, then built basically a little medical enterprise on the side, which was a content website, helping people get certifications out. There's so much inspiration out there. You don't actually have to know tech to buy a digital asset. So get your head around that. Take the inspiration and wisdom from so many people who have come before you and you'll do really well. And thank you for your time, Billy.
0: It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and insights and perspective on where we're at today, where we'll be in the future. Lots of amazing things happening. Blake Hutchison, thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. Your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.